This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And I speculate that we're going to have a fine episode today. Yeah, I think based on 600 and something episodes of precedent, we usually have a good time. So that's good. That's a good speculation that you just made. I might be opening a department soon because mm-hmm. I'm so good at it. <laughs> speculating the, the, the formula for intros recently has been like let's not talk about it but both just bring the first title-based wordplay to the show that we could that's possibly very generous of, of you it, to even mm-hmm. say what i what said was wordplay i just said <laughs> the words in the title it's like yeah i mean i played yeah, with not, them not so much play i guess it's just like word observations <laughs> <laughs> word acknowledgement yeah um, cause we, you go way back in the day and we used to be like, we used to talk about like moving for like five and we used to talk about stuff that was going on, you know, now we don't, well, I was just like, oh yeah, we're here to establish an entire department of speculation around this book that I read this week, department of speculation by Jenny Phil. I don't think it's like a bad thing that we changed it. I'm just acknowledging what a big change it is. No, I mean, I, I think of the two of us, you were the one who were, more adamant that we stop spending five minutes talking about nonsense. I at think, the top. It, yeah, sure, sure. And also, I think we just like ran out. <laughs> we just ran out. Like, there's only so many cool observations that one person can have. Over. Were they cool observations? They were really cool, awesome observations about like the stuff that was going on in like the alleyways behind our houses. <laughs> What's going on in my alleyway right now? Yeah, what's going on? What's, let's have an alley check. There's a lot of cats out there. and Cats? It's, we're going to get to the part of the show where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Andrew told we're doing you a throwback what, intro. Andrew told you what book that he read already. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about Did you know that the, the, the cover of this book says that it's a novel, just in case you needed to? Oh, <laughs> boy, the book blob. Um, <laughs> it, uh, my neighbor put a bunch of those, like little spikes on her fence mm-hmm. the, the like an anti-pigeon ones yeah except i think they're for the cats that live in our alley mm-hmm. those cats don't care about those spikes they can knock them over i've seen them do it <laughs> and i think she only put them up there because she was getting hvac work done if my neighbor listens shout out to my neighbor and she hey, was hey getting neighbor, yeah. hvac work done and the guys didn't want to go back there because I think one of the cats had had babies. <laughs> so they were like, we're not Boy. touching these cats. Yeah, your stray cat situation stresses me out. I mean, I've got I've got groundhogs. Yeah. That was just one groundhog, and now it's three groundhogs. So I got to take care of that too sweet. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I told my mom about it, and she said she would loan me a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the rural Ohio in, in her coming out. I think is you just like you got a mole, you got a groundhog, you just pop it. 
It's fine. That's unreal. Just pop it. And I was like, you know, I think the neighbors in my in the city of Philadelphia would maybe have a problem with me <laughs> popping groundhogs in my backyard. Tell the world, stop the war. <laughs> okay, so Andrew. Anyway, books are my favorite guy. Yeah. This is our podcast about Depa- Department of Speculation by Jenny Afil. What yep. can you tell me about about Jenny? About Jenny Jenny. Jenny. Uh, born in 1968. Grew up all over these United States. Uh, her parents were boarding school teachers, and I, from the interviews I've read, it kind of implied that you know moving around based on their jobs. Uh, she studied at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, and then later at Stanford University. Um, you know, we talk about these contemporary writers; they all go through that Iowa Writers Workshop. Did she go through? I the don't Iowa know writers? that she did. I kind of want to mm, shout out that I okay. don't think she did. Okay. She I was, mean, if she did, it would be on her Wikipedia page because they all can't stop talking about how they went to the Iowa Writers in workshop, charge of that workshop so. is like you got to put it in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, she was a Stegner Fellow in fiction at Stanford, um, and the, her first novel, Last Things, was published in 1999. It was a finalist for the LA Times First Book Award. Uh, as she put it, it was quit- critically well received and did not sell super well. Mm-hmm. And then it was a while before this book, I think, which is her second book. This came out in 2014. 2014, so pretty long ways. The um, Wikipedia page for this, uh, and this is the last time I'm going to explicitly call out Wikipedia, it just says the novel received positive reviews and has been compared to Afil's later work, Weather. Yeah. And like, yeah, it probably has been compared to later work by the same author. Why is that a sentence that we need to have in this article? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like probably evaluations of the later work did mention this one. Hmm, that's that's good. That is that is good encyclopedia. As I, re- edit. That's as what I, I think. recall, the entry for Weather also includes like clips talking about department speculation mm-hmm. so community of listeners you can go to this encyclopedia if you want to sort this out anyone can edit it anyone can edit it and they need financial help and right now because russia is like finding them for not uh oh changing the entries on the ukraine and i feel like stuff, I, so. it feels like too busy writing books to like handle wikipedia and wikipedia i mean it sounds like like speculation on your sounds like speculation on your part Uh, fair enough just say i do run the department now Mm -hmm. um she's written for the paris review electric literature she's written for children book children's books my notes what is she what is she written what is she written for them um she has written (laughs) uh 17 things i'm not allowed to do anymore (laughs) 11 experiments that failed sparky and while you were napping Mm-hmm. Um, are any of them about like divorce and motherhood and stuff or are they about different <laughs> different subject matter i okay. think they're a different <laughs> subject matter mm-hmm. um she's co-edited some um essay and story collections as well she has taught at a number of colleges and universities including syracuse and sarah lawrence was the writer in residence at vassar and pratt before i believe her most recent post at bard college vassar and pratt sounds like a snobby law firm there's like snobby and snobby and fratty. That would be a good law firm. Mm-hmm. Hi, we're snobby and fratty. We're here to mm-hmm. help. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we said, this book was published in 2014. It was shortlisted for the Penn Faulkner Award and the Folio Prize, and then it was the precursor to Weather, which was shortlisted for the 2020 Women's Prize for Fiction. 
Uh, I don't think we're going to talk about that book much today because neither of us read it. But I can no, tell but, you, but the but the works have been compared. I've, they I've have heard been tell. Compared, <laughs> compared to and, each other. <laughs> uh, it is my understanding that she kind of wrote it in response to the Trump presidency and to her fears about climate change and her uh, interest in like doomsday prepper culture. I think she was working mm-hmm. on the climate change doomsday prepper stuff already. And then the election happened. He's not named in the book, but it, you know, it's in there. You know, the weight of it is yeah. in there. Yeah, we, we've read some books from like that 27, that were written yeah. in like that 2017 to 2019 period and how they, if, if they are doing something political, it often has a sort of distinct, memorable flavor to it. It's It's that thing where... You might as well presume that everybody who's going to read it knows the thing you're not saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that, you know, stop the war. Um, yeah. And it's all, and, and also just that that strange sliver of time. Like even thinking back on it, it's very slippery. Yeah. Like, trying to recall how I felt in that post-Trump pre-pandemic time sliver. When, like it was, it was distinct though. It was a distinct it was. epic. Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, that book was originally called American Weather, but she dropped the American out of the title due to the rush of books that had American in the title during the Trump presidency. <laughs> like just all sorts of nonsense getting that label on it. And she was like, I don't want I don't want to be a part of that. Um, there's an interview with her in The Millions that talks about both this book and then weather uh, being part of what you might call autofiction. Um, from this article, the term has come to like stand the, like the like the movie Cars, <laughs> <laughs> or like half of every Transformers movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The term has come to stand for a literary approach that does away with the conventions of fiction, such, such as plot and invented characters, and draws or appears to draw on the author's lived experience. Um, a fill is mentioned in the same breath as other practitioners of the form, such as Rachel Cuskin, but this is all from the millions. Uh, but she smarts at the label. Oh, I like that use of the word smarts. That's nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Quote, autofiction has been around for so long, she says. She feels it's gendered, asserting that women who write it are assumed to be pulling from their diaries. Quote, I wouldn't be a fiction writer if I didn't believe that you could invent and conflate and add to things. Um, and, you know, there are other ways in which it you know, may or may not fit that label. Like a lot of genre labels, it's as useful as you need it to be, it sounds like. Yeah, and it exists at least partly as a like a marketing categorization for publishing houses. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and in particular for what I understand is a style of fiction that is really resistant to the conventions of plot and character that you and I might read more often. Yeah. Which you'll tell us more about for this. Yes, book. I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's not that's not speculation. You just that that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> sure. Uh, she said where this book came from. Uh, the book came from the ashes of another book, which was much more linear in construction, but at a certain point I realized I wanted to capture more of the fragmentary nature of thought and especially of the way emotion moves in and out of people, I began to write on note cards and shuffle them together, and I started to find these startling juxtapositions, which I thought were interesting and which led me down this path. That's from an NPR mm-hmm. interview. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Do you want to like just kind of give us a little taste of what she's talking about there, Andrew, before we hit the yeah, break? Like it's all, it is almost, it, the story is linear and there are defined characters. Sure in it who you can pick out nobody's really named like everybody is yep. just uh referred to by like they, they get a like oh a what's moniker? the yeah like a mnemonic th- what's the the specific word for from like the odyssey like an or, epithet or those, yeah 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 okay. they get epithet like the wife the philosopher the sure. almost astronaut the, okay. the husband the the daughter like the, those kinds of things yeah um but yeah, it is, it is, and it does move linearly, but it's very scattered in the way that thought is, is scattered. And it's almost like the chapters that you get are usually like loosely themed around something, but you always get these, you know, little interjections that come in, like not from nowhere, like they're still kind of related to everything else that's happening in the chapter, but they're just like little weird, uh, let me, I've got a bunch of, of shirts sure. pulled up, which, which we can talk about. Okay. Um, there's just one chapter that ends a thought experiment courtesy of the Stoics. If you are tired of everything you possess, imagine that you have lost all these things. And so you just get little paragraphs like that, that are related to the, the story about the characters that you are reading about, but it takes the form of like a loose thought that's just rattling around that occurs to her as she's. It's sort of telling you what's going on in her in her character's life. It's related to the story because the character thought it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not because it is like a critical plot point that's going to come up later. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's, I think to, to talk about it more is to get into the meat of what will probably be our episode. So let's take a quick break and then uh, you can let me know if any of our speculation has been off base. Okay. Sounds great. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Andrew. Yes? Ever feel just a little lost? Yes. And not just like you don't know literally where like a store is. but Yeah, just... no, not like I'm in the woods and I can't and I don't know which way to go to get home. But yeah. just like, you know, like mentally and figuratively lost. Yes, I felt that way. Yeah. I've... I felt both both ways. <laughs> it's actually. true. <laughs> I felt that I've had that feeling where like. It's hard to plan ahead or, you know, you're not sure what you're going to do with this next like big life event, be it a job. I've done that recently. Mm -hmm. Be it a house. I've done that Mm -hmm. recently. So how do you how you how you find yourself, Craig? Well, you know, life can sometimes just be a bunch of fragmentary thoughts (laughs) full of speculation and there's not a clear path forward. Mm-hmm. But therapy can help you sort through all those paragraph pieces and get you fine in that way forward. People in my life, I'm not reading copy right now. People in my life have benefited greatly uh, from tackling uncertainty through therapy. They not only talk about what they're struggling with, but they also identified what has worked for them so that they can kind of bring more of that into their life and cultivate it. That's a really powerful part of therapy that I think not enough people talk about. It's hard to chart a course if you don't know what you want to get you know, out of the trip if you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. You can do it on your own schedule, and it's entirely online. Just fill out. We all love to be online. So just 
I love to be entirely online. <laughs> Just fill out the brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash overdue. So, where do you want to start? here that's a great question i let's start with the story such as it is okay because it's one of those books that where where a writer is writing about a character who also is kind of a writer and there's maybe some uh some like upheaval in their lives maybe they're like marital troubles or some other kind of uh, not not like everyday misery but like something something that even though a lot of people have gone through it, like when, when you're going through it, it feels very personal and like notable to you. Um, it, it is definitely like a type of book. Mm. And I say that not to say that I didn't like it cause I did like it. But when you get to a, a kind of book like this, at least for me, where like the beat to beat, like plot stuff is not super sticky or like interesting to talk about. I think what you're left with is how the story is told and like the specific quality of the prose. Yeah. That is like sort of left to, to carry it and make it notable. Um, and I think that's, I think that's what this book does. I have a lot of samples of things to read. We can also, you know, take some time to, to find other things. If you have specific questions about the way she puts things or the way she describes things, but um, but yeah, that was that was kind of the point of the book. To me, was like how it how it flowed and how she specifically decided to like put stuff and observe stuff. Yeah, it reminds me. This is this is gonna sound hoity-toity tangential. Oh yeah, let's do it. Department of Speculation, baby. It reminds me of my freshman year theater class. Oh yeah, where we're reading Aristotle. Mm-hmm. And re- that guy. I think it's somewhere in the poetics. He talks about uh, dramas and like, kind of like ranking um, the different elements and like different plays. And I guess you know that hundreds of years hence, you could say like different productions like value different things at different levels. Like yeah, like sometimes they take t- they take place during the Jazz Age or something. sure i mean more that like sometimes a a play will really value uh like character and plot Mm -hmm. but like it won't have a lot of spectacle to it it won't have a lot of razzmatazz two people standing around a stool or something yeah yeah you might go like a, a good example for me I don't know that you've ever seen an Andrew the Musical Wicked about the Wicked Witch of the West. I've seen posters for it. Perfect. I think I've seen it advertised on a banner pulled behind a plane on the beach. Yeah, you have. So yes, we did see that one together. Um, <laughs> spectacle for that one through the roof. Mm-hmm. Lots of effects. Yeah, I mean, they got ads that are banners pulled behind planes on the beach. Like, yes. Spectacular. Uh Choreo, though, pretty low on the list of priorities. Not, there's like one dance number in that show, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like Different pieces of art are interested in different pieces of what their medium can do, is what I'm kind of taking a roundabout way of saying. And I sure. think that's sort of what you just said 
So I don't know why it took five minutes to say it. But no, but you said it like smarter and made a sound. Well, I referenced Aristotle, better. which instantly and you makes me Aristotle. sound smarter. You reference Aristotle, and I reference the banners that they pull behind planes <laughs> on the beach. So, like, that's kind of the podcast in a nutshell. I think it is my understanding that there's a lot of like literary references in this book. Not that I would get them if I were reading them. There's like quotes yeah, and things so, like, in this book, right? That kind of that kind of stuff I get if you like tell me that that's what you're doing <laughs> like that, that's not that's not exclusively true i just i have a an easier time telling that you're trying to like do a thing that sure. is a reference if you tell me that you're doing a reference at least in terms of of book stuff in the in the part about this being a book about a writer in a a paris review interview she did say uh I did break a secret rule of mine with this book, which is to never, ever write about someone who is a writer or a writing teacher, because who cares? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's an amazing question, is who cares? And we've had a lot of fun with books about writers writing about writing, yeah. like that one third of that entire Stephen King novel that was just like him grinding his gears about something that his publisher did or something. Well, and it's different but, when people have, are like... <laughs> further into their career and have success than they're like ah oh, writing right you know yeah. but we have we have a, like a book podcast and i think we're both interested in like the the meta conversation yeah. and and seeing the scaffolding of of things i don't think that that is super true of like the general book buying public no so, i mean to, to, to her credit the book is not much about that mm, it does sure. sometimes mention uh, the the wife, the main character, uh, being like uh, be, being a writer who has written one thing. We learn pretty much nothing about the one thing, and that people are expecting her to write her next thing, and she hasn't yet. That's a big uh, character who is a writer energy. I think we have read. I couldn't off the top of my head tell you which books we've read that have an author who's written a thing. And we're waiting for the follow-up thing, but definitely, 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 1,000%. Like, we've got at least one or two other characters who are in this exact I position. I feel like that <laughs> might have been the one in Less might have been that situation. Mm -hmm. I know that Julie Louis-Dreyfus movie that just came out has that exact situation. The, the situation in Less is like he has one big book and then he's written a bunch of... He actually has oh, written and published like, a bunch yes. of books subsequently, okay. but is having like trouble. Um, There's a character in the Sandman, the, the one who oh, yes. traps the the muse in who his had one attic, thing. like a jerk yes. who had one thing, and yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a it's a it's an archetype. Okay, like, so like what everybody is... everybody has like one book in them, right? And then some people don't have more than that. <laughs> well, and that that kind of gets to the the autofiction thing. She also talks about like y there are things in this book that are certainly part of her lived experience, but the reason she writes fiction. Is that she can like, even if it's based on something she has ever felt or done, she can make it bigger. She can have bigger reactions to it. She can, you can have change bigger, what the context is or yeah. the consequences. Yeah, like she can explore it in a way that didn't happen in her own life. Anyway, mm -hmm. what is the like spine of the thing? I will also say there, there's like the first like third to one half of this book is more about like new motherhood and, and parenthood. Oh, I've heard about I, that. Yeah, okay. And I thought that was way more interesting than the second half of the book, which is about like a, I don't know, like a divorce that doesn't quite happen. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> I'll say that. But uh, yeah, the, the, she is called the wife, but at the beginning of the book, she's not, she's not married, but she uh, meets a guy, gets married to this guy, has a kid. Um, 
they live in New York, so they there are a couple of chapters that are about them having bed bugs and how just like life consuming and terrible that is. Oh, I heard about the bed bug stuff. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit about it. We don't. I don't know. We don't. We don't need to uh, dwell on bugs. Yeah, like we we have never had bed bugs, but we have have we've have have bleh, we have had a couple of scares, which is all you'd need. To really put the the fear of the bugs in you, yep. like to, to just to change, like all of our mattresses are wrapped up, and we've got like all this diatomaceous earth at the ready, and we, you know, uh, religiously check every bed and every hotel that we ever stay in, which everybody should do. Um, I worked on a show once where we spent we stayed overnight at a sketchy motel, and some members of I was on the crew, so I didn't ever go near the costumes. Mm-hmm. But I think some people brought back some passengers from the motel. Uh oh! And there were a lot of angry people. <laughs> yeah, it was bad news. Yeah, because the only way to really—I mean—prevention is the best way yep. to to not have them. Uh huh. <laughs> and once you have them, it is difficult to to dig your way back yep. out of it. Anyway, like, well, okay. Anyway, they have bed bugs for a bit. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, she is working a lot. She's working with this, you know, she, she can't write her second novel, but she's doing this thing for money where she's sort of ghostwriting a book for a guy who almost went to space, who is kind of a kook, but she's getting a lot of money for it. So she's doing it. Uh, then almost unbeknownst to her, her relationship suddenly is falling apart because her husband's having an affair. Mm. Um, they, kind of work through it. They go to couples therapy, which I believe she calls the tiny theater of hurt feelings. <laughs> okay. Um, and then they eventually leave the city to go somewhere in Pennsylvania, I think. And their daughter hates it, but they sort of kind of start like reconciling or, sure. or papering things back over. And that that's kind of where the, the book ends. So huh. like there, there is a plot, but it's pretty, uh, I guess quotidian would be the word that I would use if I were getting paid money to use vocabulary words. Hey, that's a good one. Cha-ching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, um, she told NPR when they asked uh, whether she was apprehensive about writing about tropes like love and parenthood, uh, I felt incredible trepidation about writing about motherhood and marriage. I was particularly not interested in writing a book that had an affair in it because I thought we've read that a million times. But at a certain point, I realized... <laughs> At a, at, a, at a certain point, I realized that I wanted the book to kind of break apart in the middle, which is you've kind of what you've alluded to. And I realized that if you defamiliarize things enough, you really can write anything. Uh, and then I also thought to myself, well, if it was good enough for Tolstoy and Flaubert, who am I to claim that can't be in my book? So she's having she's, fun. <laughs> she, yeah, she's saying a lot of like, man, I would never write a book about a writer who gets has a kid and, and gets divorced but except for this one time just this one time i'm gonna well and then it, it seems to have paid off for her so like it's i mean it's you know? possible that she wrote about it in weather too because this book has been compared to that one and oh, i don't fair. know <laughs> i don't know exactly what's being compared i just know that they have been compared to each other sure uh-huh. this is important stuff that came up during my research but you said earlier that it is this book is way more like being in a character's head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate? You know how you're you you'll be and and maybe because of my like 
undiagnosed. Well, I mean, it's diagnosed now. My my longtime undiagnosed adult uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Sure. Maybe my brain is more like this than like a neurotypical brain. But you know how you're sitting and you're, I don't know, you're driving or you're trying to work and suddenly your brain just like zooms to this place. Like you think about something that you read or you decide to think about something embarrassing that you did 25 years ago and you get embarrassed all over again. Like you just did it. And the other people who are there to witness it are also thinking about it and thinking about how stupid you were right in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's that, it's that kind of brain flutter, like, um, word association kind of, okay. kind of stuff that sure. is happening a lot in this book. The other, the other thing that I, so I talked about liking the parenthood sections better than the, like the, the first half, but in the second entanglement yep. sections, some of that is just how well she captures like certain small moments about, about early parenthood. Um, she talks about, uh, the, you know, the, the baby is is a baby, and they have had this friend whose name is R, only R, okay. the letter R, yep, over, and it's probably the letter R from Sesame Street. It's fine. It's probably it's probably a big foam letter yep. R with, with eyes and a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, just talking about uh, thump, 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 thump went the music, but the heartbeat song only enraged the baby. On and on she screamed. This is intense, R said after an hour or two. R, who is not our friend anymore and began not to be on the night in question. <laughs> so I don't, I can't think of anybody who parenthood like specifically made me not friends with anymore. Sure. Like I, I think anybody who I've drifted closer to or further apart from since then is stuff that was already happening. Yeah, sure. Um, before the baby was born, but just, yeah, that, that is so real because you have some people who are interested in being friends with, with like people with children and some people who are definitely not. And, and (laughs) having children is not a requirement for that. Like some people have kids and they are not on board to also like really dive into that with other people. Like it's Mm -hmm. just a separate part of their life. Yeah. Um, And I mean, when, and when you are a parent, you can also have friendships that don't, you don't just don't talk about. Yep. being a parent at all and that also is fine but like, is there, there's yes it, it captures a specific kind of drifting very well i think in the space of that one little paragraph how like what um, is it like formatted like is it a series of like line breaked items line broken please thank you jail breaked um, you get you get those little like sections broken up by lines sometimes but other times you just get longer. Okay. Let, let me read you a longer passage of, of, of another sure. like parenting related observation that gives you a different mode that the, the book is okay. sure. operating in. Um, uh, then one day I discovered something that surprised me. The baby was calm at Rite Aid. She seemed to like the harsh light of it. The shelves of plenty for 15, maybe 20 minutes. She'd suspend her fierce judgment of the world and fall silent there. <laughs> And when she did, a tiny space would clear in my head and I could think again. So I began to go there with her every day, wandering up and down the narrow aisles while the terrible drugstore music played. I'd stare at the light bulbs and the cold medicine and the mouse traps, and everything looked strange and useless to me. The last time I'd felt that way, I was 16 and lived in Savannah, Georgia. I wore moth-eaten dresses and fancied myself an existentialist. The days were long then, too. <laughs> huh. So it is... Yeah, okay. Yep. It is telling... You know, it, it is a pretty straightforward accounting of what like early motherhood or early parenthood can be like. 
and it will go on like that for a bit. And then it will just like hit you with a transition into something that's vaguely, but not uh, like super explicitly related. Like, let me find uh, we, so talking about going to Rite Aid she, like the next paragraph is uh, running into a dog walking neighbor who you've, who you've met a couple times. There's a, that little truism the the people sleep when the baby sleeps people said don't go to bed angry um and then the next sentence if i knew telekinesis i would send the spoon over there to feed that baby (laughs) uh then the next paragraph my next my best friend came to visit from far away um just you know it is it is connected by all being about the baby and things that she does with this baby and things that other people do in like in response to the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, is she a good baby? People would ask me. Well, no, I'd say. <laughs> and then line break. The swirl of that swirl of hair on the back of her head. We must have taken a thousand pictures of it. Like, you know, you, you see what I mean? Like related, but yep. Sort of thought association. Yeah. Yes. I think when I was reading some of the reviews of this book, I thought it was even more fragmentary than it sounds like it is. Um, it, yeah, it's fragmentary, but all the fragments are like grouped thematically inside of chapters. I found mostly okay because the the one author that I had read that it was referenced that a lot of people were referencing was that guy David Markson who wrote that book Wittgenstein's Mistress, which was like a lot. Of, it was a lot of individual sentences from within a lady's mind. But maybe she wasn't re- like it was also about her as a like a, con- a construct of fiction, and also she maybe burned a house down on the beach, and she was like that book. I had to get on a wavelength with that book where it was sort of like I was listening to a poetic, dramatic monologue. I think that's the case with this book too. Is like you you do need to. It sounds like the Get chunks in this are more substantial, though, a little bit. They they can be more substantial, but you do need to like you you get a sense of the rhythm of the book as you as you go as you as you go. Whereas like you know early on when you're reading it, I guess I start any book that I'm reading from the assumption that it's going to be telling some kind of continuous story in like a relatively straightforward way and if it's silly not doing Andrew. That, i know it's so <laughs> stupid that i've read like 900 books for this podcast and i'm still every time i open a book i'm like all right what what uh <laughs> what do we have in what, here what hero's journey am i gonna encounter in here um <laughs> pony on up it, to but, old joseph campbell here we go any book that doesn't do that i find and maybe some of our listeners find when they're reading you know you, you need a few chapters to get into the rhythm of it and the voice of it and to recalibrate your expectations for what the book is going to be like. Sure. Sure. It's one of those like often, and usually I don't have the time to, to do this though. I did with this one a little bit. Often I will get to the end of a book like this and I want to loop right back around and read like the first, yeah, yeah. you know, 10, 20% of it with my expectations recalibrated so yeah. I can appreciate it more instead uh-huh. of just like, trying to figure it out you know what i mean there's a lot of more straightforward plot based fiction that doesn't i love plot based fiction by the way (laughs) you know what i mean it doesn't (laughs) plot forward when you know if you're thinking about taste um it doesn't it's kind of a plot aftertaste (laughs) the plot lingers on the palate uh 
books like this do more to teach you how to read them than like kind of traditional genre fiction might. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Where it's just like the character, what you're really there is to get a strong sense of character and maybe a MacGuffin and some people grow and change and they go on adventures and like you don't necessarily have to learn how to read that because you live in the world where that's one of the dominant storytelling modes. Like I just I just read the unkind the unkindness of ghosts book and right from the outset that book is telling you a lot about like I'm I'm a sci-fi book. I take place on a space station. Like I here are I'm just things, a book. I'm just on a book. Here, capital here. nook. <laughs> here are the things that you need to know about the the world that I'm building and the things that I, you know, that I need to <laughs> to tell you about <laughs> the way I'll be world building. But it's like it is a it is giving you a lot of signals about genre up front and that there's a lot of shorthand there that you can use to set sure. your expectations with. Sure. Um there yeah. um in a, a Guernica Mag interview Afil was talking about the formatting of uh, her book Weather, which has been compared. It's to been this compared book. to this one, yeah, um, Inclu- and and by us now, I think we we're comparing them. Said that early on, uh, the designer of the book put a long line whenever they saw a break between like chunks of text, and Afil uh, said, "No, I want it to be as imperceptible as possible. Whatever is the closest to not registering, the equivalent of how you say said in dialogue." the weight of the dialogue tag. And it sounds like it's an, you know, an iteration on this style of writing where like it's poetic in how like the way it's laid on the page affects how you read it uh but doesn't have those clear delineations. Like she just kind of wants it to tumble at you. It sounds like the mm-hmm. word the word she used for the the thoughts of this character were jittery at one point. Sure, yeah, I can see that for um, sure. So what do you want to t- put tell a hat a on that. More about the put, relationships maybe put, or if you want to do more <laughs> quotes put a hat on that baby said every old biddy that passed me but the devil baby cleverly dispatched with them to ride bareheaded in the freezing rain and wind <laughs> what does simon do to thwart you when you're trying henry for years would not consent to having the hood on the stroller pulled up over him huh he would always immediately reach up and push it back. So he would just get like drenched with rain or whatever. Oh, no. it was that was um, one time recently, Simon uh, pulled the front of the plastic rain shield into himself. Mm-hmm. Cause it's got like a little doggy door on the front, I guess for right. like airflow. Uh-huh. And he, he had pulled it in. So then a, big gust of downpouring rain like got in on him and then he was mm-hmm. trapped in there looking <laughs> at me really upset um he really uh he's in a phase right now where he likes to arch his back a lot during a diaper change oh yeah that's helpful it's not super helpful he did he, there's that that whole part where they start moving around and like crawling and walking and stuff and they don't realize that no movement there is no movement that is helpful during a diaper change uh-uh. they don't well and it's hard to communicate you're like most of the day you're like please move it's good for you and then for like 30 seconds at a time i need it's you just to like be- i need i need you <laughs> to hold still. perfectly still i need you to not put your hand anywhere yeah. <laughs> because I know that your hand is going to go up into your eyes or mouth immediately. And I just can't deal with another pink eye infection right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a, like P 
people, I, I have not gotten a ton of this from like third party observers who have nothing to do with me or my, my child. Someone once like a couple of years ago, Susanna was like holding Henry to like bring him into a pharmacy or something. And somebody was like, he's too big for you to hold him like that. Whoa. It's like, it's the same with put a hat on that baby. Like I am sure there is some version of reality that you inhabit where you think you are being helpful, but this is literally none of your business and you need to never like everybody shut up. (laughs) Especially if the baby isn't visibly upset and you're not even bothering to couch it as like helpful. You're just yelling a thing. It's just, it's simply none of your business. My baby got cat called once. Oh, nice. I well, was, I mean, your baby's got that. Baby's got that big old butt. Well, old it wasn't his butt. butt. It was his. <laughs> it was how cute his face is. I was. <laughs> I had him strapped in the carrier, so he's facing forward. I was at a crosswalk, and a lady rolled down the passenger side second rear window and yelled, mm-hmm. "Oh, what a little nugget!" And then, <laughs> like, laughed at herself for what she had done and rolled up mm-hmm. the window, and they drove away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Henry was eight days old, and I was taking him out to a coffee shop, like the first time I had been out with him. Yep. And I ran into a couple of the old ladies who lived on our street, and they asked what his name was, and I said, his name's Henry, and they said, you gave that baby an old man's name. (laughs) And, but it's exactly that kind of little nugget that is, like, super specific to you. Yep. And it's... Like part of the reason why it's funny is because it's specific, yep. but also it speaks to a larger reality of of parenting where you're just getting like unsolicited and totally unhelpful, like nothing input from people <laughs> who you've never talked to before and will never talk to again. Like that's what that this book excels at capturing, and there is just a lot of it in here that that I liked a lot. She learns to walk. We decide to have a party to show off how persony she has become. <laughs> For days beforehand, she asked me over and over, party now, party now? On the night of the festivities, I pull her wispy hair up into a ponytail. She looks like a girl, my husband says. He seems amazed. An hour later, the guests stream in. She weaves her way in and out of them for five minutes, then tugs on my sleeve. No more party, she says. Party done, party done. This sounds Classic rad. This this definitely sounds like a part of the book that is going to register for people with young or recently young children yeah 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 and maybe that's maybe that's why i because i did the, read yeah. a i don't know if i have it to maybe hand. if i it was going through like a divorce right now the part that's about divorce would have would have resonated for me more like like the baby parts have but there I'm, was I'm not as far as i know and so <laughs> i don't have the text of it to hand um and we can come back to these but i did read some good reads uh some three-star goodreads reviews okay, here yeah you go get it Go get it. I got it. Now it's on the floor right here. Uh, three star Goodreads reviews. Um, some folks, I did not get any, I did not see any that said that they particularly enjoyed the first half more than the second. There were some that that thought that the sections on motherhood were interesting. I think um, the New York Times review mentioned liking the first part better than the last part. It could be. I could be making nope. that up. Uh, I saw at least one um, Goodreads review that specifically said that like the second half was what was more interesting to them. Um, but I also, so I want to do. I want to ask a little bit more about like what is going on in the second. Yeah, half. yeah, we can talk about it because there there is a lot of good relationship stuff. I think probably 
I mean, I, I'm saying I like the first half better than the second half. I think probably the part that you find more relatable or if you find both parts equally relatable is going to depend more on what you yourself are bringing to the book when you sure. read it. Yeah, sure. Than it is about the book, because I, I think she is tackling both subjects with an equal amount of you know, like cleverness and, and mm. interestingness. Okay. Sure. <laughs> but, sure. but, uh, and I, you know, it's a, it's a page turner, the part about the divorce stuff. Cause it's sprinkled in with a bunch of other like non sequiturs and, you know, the, the observations that this character is having yeah. throughout the book. But anyway, go ahead. Well, um, I, I'll just get these reviews out of the way because they're, I, we, it won't make sense to come back to them. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, Rebecca said, not as innovative or profound as I was expecting given the Rapture's reviews from so many quarters, and it's it's an attempt to tell an old, old story in a new way. Wife finds out her husband is cheating. Um, Afil's style is fragmentary and aphoristic. Some of the facts and sayings are interesting. Most just sit there on the page and don't add to the story. What I did find worthwhile was tracing the several tense and pronoun changes. You haven't mentioned that. What does that mean? It's, I mean, so some of that is filtered through the, uh, the lens of like her being a, a, like a writing teacher who's also a writer. Okay. Um, uh, the wife is afraid. She's afraid again in the old way. She thought it was done until he died. If he died, she almost said, if she loved him so much, she contrived to say, she did say loved. She noticed tense, tense. The wife always said to her students, trying to explain that it matters, that it illuminates things. Uh, they used to send each other letters. The return address was always the same. Department of Speculation. Uh, all the letters are still in their house. He has a box of them on his desk, as does she. Um, and this, this is this is them doing just like uh, shrink stuff and the the theater of hurt feelings. But okay. yeah, you do sometimes um, get attention drawn to tense. You sometimes get attention drawn to like if the perspective shifts. Like a couple of times, she briefly shifts to showing things from the husband's perspective instead of the wife's perspective. Okay. And then she is like, yeah, note the perspective shift. Like there there are just little, little moments like that where she is doing writing and then being like, look at the writing I just did. Get a load of that. (laughs) Hey, I'm writing here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Well, the thing that stands out to me is that all of the baby stuff that you read is in the first person. Mm -hmm. Um, At least at all of the passages you chose. Yeah. Once you, once you get to, the part where it is a conflict between the husband and the wife. That's you, the shift. Th- yeah. There is a lot of, there's a lot more removal. Cool. Okay. Like there's just more of a, a layer of, of stuff between the protagonist and the, mm-hmm. yeah, but it, I mean, it's not, it's not exclusively that way, but I, now that you mention it, it is, I, I think that is a, a thing that happens as the, as the book goes. Cool. Uh, S. Pankovish says, uh, Spankovich, who generally seemed to like it, um, and I mostly just pull this out because I want you to hear this thing that they wrote. Um, <laughs> while the style does help investigate the character from an abstract perspective that feels very intimate, it also feels as if it is used more for the sake of seeming experimental than actually being experimental. Speculation toys with POMO techniques without really being POMO itself. Now, can you tell me what POMO is? The novel is rather straightforward, despite the impression of not being so. We've talked about that it is uh, more, like, linear than I would have thought based on some other reviews, which is not a bad thing either way. It's pretty linear, and it's about pretty, like, elemental, basic things. Like, you know, it's, it's about parenthood. It's about 
uh, relationship. It's about a lot of other things. And, and when it is about those two big things, it is often doing it in a way that, that comes off as like striking and, and unique. But yeah, the fact, and when we were talking about this in, in, in Slack to like prep for the yeah, show, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is like, you can kind of sum this up in a couple sentences and it's part of a long story genre of like writers writing about writing stuff. Like it's, it's the, yeah. you boil it down to its basic components and it's like, you come to the intro fiction writing seminar with the worst thing that's happened to you. And just like, <laughs> sure. For a lot of uh, like white people in America, like some relationship you had that went bad is the odds are it's the worst thing that's happened to you. Yeah. And so you get a lot of stories that play in that, play in that space. You okay. know what I mean? Not, not, not to minimize it or anything, but there, there is an uncharitable way to boil down what this book is about. And it's, one of the reasons I've focused so much on like bringing snippets of, of yeah. the actual prose is because I want to. Oh, the Pomo techniques. What the, What are you talking about? <laughs> what is a Pomo technique? I think I have not. Proud, Googled... proud of proud of missing out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Po dash Mo. So I think it's postmodern. I. Okay, sure. But S. Penkovich thinks that these are, that speculation is toying with Pomo techniques without really being Pomo itself. I I haven't compared it to the Pomo techniques in weather. Um, Some people have. I mean, it's been done. (laughs) I just just needed to put Pomo techniques out into the world. More people need to I need to learn more about what a Pomo technique is so we can always be on the watch for Pomo techniques. The other book I've seen this compared to a lot. And I don't. I'm just going to put the this, other one, other than other than weather, other than weather by Jenny O'Phil. Yeah, okay. um, is a book that we had our friend Sophie Brookover come on to talk about many moons ago. Speedboat by Renata Adler, uh, episode 164. I, I, neither of us read it. Sophie read it to uh, like about it to us. But based on her description of it, here's what we're gonna, no. I just I go listen to that say. episode. If this, if you read this mm-hmm. book and you and you like it, maybe go check that out. Go check out what Adler's whole deal was. Mostly just a plug for an old episode of our show. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Anything else about the relationship that we so haven't yeah, the, touched on? As we the relationship kind of come we can talk about, like it, it starts very like. Uh, very putting the husband up on a pedestal sort of um, is lionizing the word I want. Just get, like he's a he's a great he's a great dude. Sure, is the impression that we get of him from the first part. A of this chief, book. my chief guy. My husband comes. <laughs> he's a favorite. He's a favorite guy. My husband comes into the bathroom holding a hammer. He is talking, reciting a litany of household things. I fix the wobbly chair. He tells me, and I put the mat under the rug so that it won't ride up again. The toilet needs a new washer, though it won't stop running. This is another way in which he is an admirable person. If he notices something is broken, he will try to fix it. He won't just think about how unbearable it is that things keep breaking that you can never outrun entropy. <laughs> this is a this is a quality that I recognize in myself. Is like, man, there's it's a minor cosmetic uh, problem with something. I should probably <laughs> fix it so it doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> Yeah, um, but you know, you you get stuff about his relationship with the with the daughter. Just like things are, things are pretty good, and then you get hit with this like bit of foreshadowing, and it's clear what is what is coming. Um, uh, there's so talking about uh, people's relationships. Um, 
There's a husband who requires mileage receipts, another who wants sex at 3 a.m., one who forbids short haircuts, another who refuses to feed the pets. I would never put up with all that. All the other wives think, never. But my agent has a theory. She says every marriage is jerry-rigged. Even the ones that look reasonable from the outside are held together inside with chewing gum and wire and string. Uh, so now this woman at the playground is telling me about how her husband rifles through her purse for receipts. If he finds one for the wrong kind of ATM, he posts it on the refrigerator, highlighted in red. She shrugs. He can't help it. Um, yeah, the wives have requirements too, of course. What they require is this unswerving obedience, loyalty unto death. So it's like clear that that something is going to happen to their marriage and that's going to be what a big chunk of the book is about. He is dating like a much younger assistant of, of his who... Yep. Um, very like there's a funny bit where he is wearing what, when they start dating, he is wearing glasses that she hates, but does not say anything about. (laughs) And she has bangs that she eventually grows out. And when he gets new glasses, it comes out that she hated the old ones. And when she grows her bangs out, he's like, yeah, I never liked bangs. Oh no. (laughs) Just like a. (laughs) <laughs> and then she, he, he is dating this younger woman and the wife meets her because they're trying to do like the quote mature thing. Mm. And the wife, like the, the chat, I think the chapter ends with the wife turning to the husband and being like, does she have bangs? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like they are characters that are drawn just enough. But like, if you, if you, wrote more of this book like if she colored in more in between the lines they might start to feel like tropey or like it's a little trope and and i I will also say like the husband by far comes off worse but what i think afil does well is makes it clear that part of the reason the husband is coming off worse is because you are getting it from the perspective of the wife sure yeah sure because you do she does. And this is, this is, you know, this is difficult for anybody to do, but you get brief passages where she admits to herself, like, yeah, I work all the time. I don't like notice things that he does. Like I, I can admit to myself, my culpability in the deterioration of this relationship. Yep. Sure. But mostly the husband just does not come off good. No. <laughs> does not, yeah. No. Yeah. Well, you know, he does cheat. So yeah. bad news. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah, or do it that. do it consensually. Then that then it's not cheating though. Yeah, I know. What? <laughs> if 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 I get if I take the money from the poker table and everyone says go ahead take it, then I'm not like mm-hmm. cheating. I'm just taking the money. Yeah, like you just if you if you do it with the consent of all involved, then it's fine. It doesn't matter if it's against the, you know quote unquote the rules. Oh sure. I'm just saying consenting adults can do a lot of stuff. Speaking of uh, consenting to rules in the Guernica Mag interview, I did just I want to shout this out. And she's talking about breaking rules for writing um, and being a writing teacher herself who talks about the rules. Mm -hmm. She says, when people give rules for writing, I'm always thinking, what about Beckett? Whenever they say things you have to do, dot, 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 there's Beckett. I just appreciate as a fan of Samuel Beckett. I appreciate that. Sure. That she's sure. out here being like, listen, this guy was here a while ago, and he also hated all of the rules. Part of part of learning the rules in and out is like learning where you can bend and break them. Like learning that's, their that's power. Just like, that's why rules exist because there, there are a lot of ways to 
respond to the existence of rules. And sometimes the response is to follow them. And sometimes the response is to know when like breaking or subverting them will have the most impact, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why I mean, I mean, I mean, podcasting's original bad boy. So I know exactly when to break all the rules yeah. and you know, you know this about me. I do. In fact, I you're, and you're always, you're always telling me, could you just like stop breaking rules for a second? I'm like, every, you don't, you don't understand my art time. Dad. I hit record. I'm mm-hmm. worried that you're going to break Time another podcasting rule. <laughs> One that every other podcast follows. And then you're going to be like, this time, I'm going to break mm-hmm. it. I'm going to break it. I'm going to start talking about the the intro, like the the process for doing intros in the middle of the intro. And just you're just going to have to be along for the You're going to start talking about the process of doing the intros in the outro. Mm-hmm. I don't trust you. <laughs> I'm breaking a lot of rules right now. So you should probably we should probably end the show before I break any more rules. Okay. Cool. And get our podcasting license revoked. <laughs> They're still issuing those, unfortunately. I think we could get another one. Yeah, I think we're up for renewal. Yep. Um <laughs> Well, thanks for telling me about this book. I'm glad that you like found a a way to to vibe with it, even if like it's not your typical it's, cup I mean, of tea it's it's one of those books that i was vibing with pretty much the whole time and then i got to the end of it and it was like well i have zero minutes of thoughts to <laughs> share on this and i need to find a way to expand that to 45 minutes of thoughts yeah and sometimes sometimes the challenge of having to do that makes for a show that I end up feeling pretty good about, which I, 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 I feel good about this one. I think. Yeah, I think so. One of, good. one of the rules is that you do get to talk about how the episode went. So you're, you're yeah. not breaking that rule yet. Yeah. But you, off and off mic, but yeah, you do get to talk about how you thought it went. Yeah. So, well, thanks. I'm glad that you like this book. Yeah. I'm glad I liked it too. It sucks to not like a book. Really I've done it God, recently. It and it's, it's, it's just so, like, a, it's the pits. It's awful. Especially because when you're doing it for an audience and you know you're talking about somebody's favorite book and you're like, I got to find a way to talk about how I didn't like this without impugning anybody who does like it. And that's that's a lot of work. Yeah. That's a whole department in and of itself. Because you have to speculate about why they liked the book. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, don't try to, to fold it into the department of speculation. I feel like that's. You're just trying to save money when these should be departments that have their own budgets. I'm trying to right size these departments, but, Andrew. Mm, mm, sure. <laughs> if you have thoughts <laughs> on how we can right size our podcast operation, or how we can talk about more auto fiction like the movie Cars, that do more of that one. Send us an mm-hmm. email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at overduepod. Thanks to Adela, Chris, Jane, Emma, Hunter, Patty, Megan, and Seamus for reaching out in the past week or so. Uh, our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? They go to overduepodcast.com, our net website. Up there we have a list of the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. If you want to read along with us, uh, we have a link to our Patreon project, patreon.com slash overdue pod. You can support the show financially, get access to our discord server uh, where we have lots of fun and also real conversations, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you get real. Sometimes you're telling jokes and sometimes you're getting real. Mm-hmm. And uh, also you get bonus episodes early. You can sit in on some bonus episode recordings. Yep. 
Um, Craig, we're recording one this month, correct? The month of August. We you want are. to tell them about it? And also, I guess, the other books that we're going to read in August? Yeah. For I'll, I'll save the bonus because it's a bonus and you, I, you need to wait. for Bonus means extra, yeah. Yep. Um, next up, The Mysterious Benedict Society by Trenton Lee Stewart. I'm going to read that one then. Speaking of Gustave Flaubert, as Jenny Phil mentioned earlier, Madame Bovary uh, is a book that he wrote, and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> and then the patron's choice book for the month is Where Are the Children by Mary Higgins Clark. Uh, if you are of a similar age to us, you may have seen that on a shelf in a grocery store. We're going to read it and talk about it. Uh, She's the queen of suspense, I'm told, by the book cover she here. She is. It's true. Uh, and then our bonus for the month of August, uh, just in time for those September playoff hunts, we're going to be talking about Moneyball by Michael Lewis, the book, one of the books that ding-dang changed baseball. Yeah, ding-dang changed it. I'm, um, I can't wait to hear more from you about the other books that changed baseball. I've never read Moneyball. I don't think I've read any of the books that they say have changed baseball, but I do know about them. Okay. We'll talk about them. Yeah, we'll probably talk about... You should definitely do more to establish your lack of expertise on this subject, just to really draw people in. I know. I love <laughs> baseball, and I'm, I'm excited to read a book about it that I've never read before. So I've read Moneyball, and you haven't, which is the wildest thing. It's going to make me. for a good conversation. Yeah, even though I read it like 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, and what, anything else? Like nope. we, you, we, and you can get uh, bonus our, our long our current. We do long read projects <laughs> where we take a book. I had to find my way in. I, I got there. We read a longer book that is not a good fit for an individual episode right now we're doing the sandman series by yep. neil gaiman we're wrapping that up pretty soon yep uh and starting in september october we're going to start reading emily wilson's translation of the iliad our original long read project was for a translation of the odysseys i can't wait to go back to that fictional universe mm-hmm. uh the, the prequel i think to the percy jackson book so it's going to be yeah. there's going to be a lot of tie-ins i think that are a lot of fun yeah i'm excited to figure out where all the the cool Percy Jackson stuff comes from. Yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. All right, everybody. Anything else? We're good? We're good. All right. I, I speculate that everyone is going to want to tune in next week. And until you do that, though, you should try to be happy. Bye. <laughs> Would you like to read a, a relevant Facebook message that we received to your to your joke just then? Which joke? Just the fact that you made jokes. Sure. I love jokes. Let's see if I can find it. Is it mean? Sort of. Oh, good. I think it's funny. I think it's funny. Apropos of nothing, just started following us on a bunch of platforms and then sent this message. And this is from when? Yes, to this morning. This morning, okay. I do like the show, comma. Mm-hmm. Yes. Appreciate your in-depth analysis of books, but, uh-huh. all caps, please stop the constant laughing over nothing. <laughs> Seems like you are desperately trying to make it fun. Don't make it fun, make it good. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
that last line is what makes it really funny to me. Don't make it fun. Make it good. <laughs> Why not both? Or neither. Hey, careful what you wish for. Uh-huh. 